Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 41. I'm your host, Dan, the IJ Festival Director Dude Holzman, and today's guest is Tommy Curtin. Now, Tommy Curtin is a, is a juggler from the 50s and 60s and 70s. He's over 4,000 years old. Wait, that's juggling itself. But Tommy's seen everything, knows everybody, and is a wonderful guy. So stick around for that. But first, let's thank our sponsors, starting with the IJA. They have selected me to be the Festival Director, but please do not hold that against them. Visit juggle.org for all your IJA needs. Well, and we have a new sponsor, very exciting, Wonder Toys, Juggling Genius, and Kadama USA have teamed up. They're all me, except for Kadama USA. To present Ring Dama, and Ring Dama is our new sponsor. So check out my new skill toy, Ring Dama, at ringdama.com at the end of February, and purchase yours today, because Danny needs the money. I need the money. No, I don't. It's okay. Hey, no more, no more rambling, no more preamble, no more silliness. Drop everything. Get ready for Tommy Curtin. Welcome to the Drop Everything Podcast, number 41. I'm on a, a streak, too, because another one of my favorite jugglers of all time. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Tommy Curtin. Welcome, Tommy. Hey, Don. Uh, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of my favorites. You, uh, you barely know my name. Yeah. That's. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, known Dan a long time. Great, great, great to be here. In fact, at my age, it's great, great to be anywhere, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tommy, i got to start with the name, I think that Tommy Curtin is an excellent stage name. Is that a real name? Is that a, a, a made-up name? Uh, no, actually, I was stuck with that when uh, my grandfather came along. Came over from Ireland. I think they, they ran him out of there. Potato famine, famine or something. And he had to come this way, and I never knew him. He died in 1903, I think. He was a lawyer, by the way, and uh, my father also became a lawyer. When I came along, I decided it was time someone in our family made an honest living. So that's how I got into juggling. Gotcha. But so they, they gave you, they saddled you with that terrible moniker, Tommy Curtin. That's a tough one to have to live with. Yeah, well, it's uh, <laughs> right. And of course, it's always misspelled. I'm sure we'll have to check out the tombstone, probably scratch it out, scratch the A out. Right, right. Uh, Jane Curtin uh, on the Saturday Night uh, Live a show, and Phyllis Curtin, the opera singer. I don't think I'm related to them, at least uh, that I know of. But uh, they have the same problem I noticed from time to time. And they have the same spelling as you do, C-U-R-T-I-N? Leave out the A. Yeah. Leave out the A. That's that's how we got. But I don't know. I just assume with a name like that, you had to go into show business, right? Yeah, Tommy Curtin. I think the best <laughs> stage name ever. I don't know if it's a stage name. I'm sure it is. Surge Flash. Now that that does sound like a stage name, doesn't it? Yeah, because he he was from Russia. So I, I don't. I'm sure David Kane might know his his actual name. Have you ever seen uh, the juggler Surge Flash, or or is that was that during your time? Uh, no, I may have seen. Uh, may have seen. Tapes, not tapes, whatever they had then. Uh, some yeah, movies, him, I think, not, yeah, films. Right, yeah, well, it had been, yeah, dubbed from films, which weren't weren't always the best quality, but they sure did some great juggling back then. The Russians have known to produce some good some good juggling. I, I saw his name once written out, and it was quite a long Russian name, but I've always liked the name Serge Flash, and there's a great picture of him uh, holding eight balls. It says, Serge Flash, eight balls and their master. Now we thought it was a wonderful <laughs> description on the picture. I like that. Now, I like you, that. Now you're saying your grandfather was a lawyer, your dad was a lawyer. Mm -hmm. at, at what age did the juggling bug bite the young Tommy Curtin? It was their fault. They gave me a magic set when I was six years old, and I was bitten by the magic bug first. 
and they kind of got into juggling late, later on. In fact, I, I think I did my first show when I was about seven years old. I had some kids from school that lived down my way. I only lived uh, four houses down from school. So while they had to eat lunch at school, I got to go home and eat every day for lunch. So it was a nice benefit. But anyhow, uh, some of the kids, uh, I said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm working on a new or a new, new act, <laughs> an act. It wasn't a new act. Right, right. The man, uh, I think I uh, only charged him a penny. And as I recall, only had to refund one of the four or five cents that I got there. But I was bitten by that time. And then after, I guess, let's see, I'm trying to think when I got into juggling. Who were the magicians of your generation? Did you go see, was that Heller or Thurston or? In my day, long before uh, long before television, although television came along when I, when I was in grammar school. But before that, we had a school assembly programs. And I don't remember in juggling, but they did have magicians then. Art Jennings was one of the jugglers that uh, came around when I was working school shows. Actually, Later on, when I got into school assemblies, uh, he was he was still working then, but he was one of the early jugglers that I remember seeing. And of course, on t- early television shows, they had a number of TV shows. Uh, Big Top Circus was on Saturday morning. I tried to see every one of those shows. Saw a juggler named uh, Jimmy Caliano, who was related to the famous wire walker, Con Caliano. To give you an idea how things have changed, they stopped his act right at the end when he was going to do the five clubs and made an announcement that he was the only juggler doing five clubs. And uh, that gave me the impetus to try the five. I'd have never tried more than four till I saw him doing that. And I was probably 10. Oh, no, it must have been 11 or 12 because that's when I started juggling. And Art Jennings, was he always uh, performing as a tramp character when you saw him in school? Somebody, I remember him performing as a Lazy Days, the, the juggling tramp. Is that right? Right. Probably never did school assembly shows, but I did that. And you sometimes did two, three, four a day. Right. And Art would put on one of the parts of his shows, or actually the beginning, he would sit behind a mirror and let the kids see him put the makeup on. Oh. And uh, unfortunately, the rest of the day, he had the makeup already on. And so <laughs> right. I guess he had a different opening. A gotcha. different opening. But uh, he had to drive around with the makeup on. Of course, with the tramp makeup, it wasn't quite as bad as, as white face. You could get in trouble with that nowadays. Yeah, we have the whole scary clown epidemic, unfortunately. That's what I was referring to, yeah, yeah. I, I hope that hasn't helped uh, the demise of Ring, Ringling Brothers, I don't really. Yeah, we're actually talking just a, a couple of days after Ringling Brothers, after 146 years, has closed down as a touring institution. So uh, I have a yeah. lot of friends who are clowns, and it's a very sad day in show business. Oh, yeah. My good buddy and former partner at Florida State University Circus, says Hubby Burgess, taught at the uh, clown school for several different uh, years, I believe. Yeah, I think I wanted to go to clown college, but by the time I came along, that had already stopped. So the, the clown program has stopped many years before. Right, right. Well, that's that's sort of how I got how I got into college. I was already interested in juggling, and uh, my my sister was older than 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 I am. She was seven years older than me. And a friend of hers had been to Florida State, and he came back talking about the circus that they had down there. So I was about 16, 17 then, and I, that's uh, when I decided that's where I'd go to college so I could major in circus. Of course, it didn't really work that way. Uh, you got a half hour, one half hour, phys ed credit, one semester. Right. So uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I spent a few more hours probably working on that class than the other classes. So, <laughs> so you're saying you started juggling around age 11, and so what kind of juggler were you between the age of 11 and 15 or 16? Did you see any other jugglers or were you pretty much self-taught during that period? 
the funny thing is, I saw. Well, of course, there's a the, the little book they give you, the Harry Mall will give you with his uh, right. six six balls. And I figured if I learned to do the six, you know, I'd be a good juggler. Well, I did learn to do the six. I wish it had seven or eight. I might have learned to do more. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, I hadn't, like I said, hadn't seen too many jugglers until a uh, show came into um, a town near here. It was called it was called the Ice Vogues, which was a unit of the uh, Holiday on Ice show, which I later worked for. And uh, Ice Vogues had a juggler I hadn't heard of till that time. His name was Bobby May. And Bobby May did, of course, a fantastic act all on ice skates, and that that inspired me. But I just started. I I I, I was too bashful to go back and say, "Hey, I'm trying to learn to do that," you know. So I never sure. I never got to meet him at that time, but I met him later and and knew knew him well and his wife Emily. In fact, that's as I was saying earlier. That's why uh, I ended up coming to the uh, Jugglers Convention in Cleveland, and I believe it was 1981. In 1981. Now, when you were in college, were you were you thinking about juggling as a profession at that time? Oh yes, yes. Uh, well, I in fact I left college after two years. I, I think they required you to make a certain grade average, and I hadn't done that because of the, the circus you know only give you that half hour credit. So. Hmm, right. So I decided, well, it's time to go into show business, and that's that's what I did. I later finished, but it just it took me eight more years. Whenever I wasn't out on the road working, I went to college, and I did I did I did finally finish. So nice. I, my mother was wrong. You know, <laughs> she said you'll never you'll never finish. <laughs> what did the beginning sort of professional juggler do to sort of get started in the business when you when you were starting out? Well, it it never was easy because unfortunately at that time on television there there were jugglers like. Um, uh, Francis Brunn and Rudy Cardenas, and the, they were the best. And I, I was aiming for that. And I, I went to I went to New York. I thought you had to go to New York, and that was probably a mistake, especially taking my car to New York. Right. I found a nice room. Uh, this was 1961. Right, you you had driven from Tennessee, like you you grew up in Tennessee, correct? Right, that was where my folks folks lived, and we yeah. and and where we ended up moving back. Oh, it's not as hot as Florida, but it's a lot warmer than uh, Minneapolis, you know. So this seemed like a good spot. Sounds good to me. So you so you drove across country to New York. You thought that's where the action was. Well, I thought you had to go to New York to break into show business. It seemed like I read a book that, that told told you that. But anyhow, and uh, a good a good um, well, that was way drawn. I'm getting I'm getting the, the years mixed up. That was 61, 62, and I, I found a nice room at the YMCA. It only cost $5 a night, and I could practice in the gym there. And right. I could practice juggling, so it worked out real good. Only trouble was it cost $10 a day to park my car <laughs> across the street. So right. I thought maybe I should have been living in the car. Of course, nowadays, I guess it's probably $10 an hour to park your car in the mid-down Manhattan. Sure, in New York City. Now, yep. I have in yep. my notes that also... In the years 1960 and 1961, you were the IGA president. Right. Well, I'd, I'd, let's back up a little bit. And, sure. Uh, when I first went to, uh, I guess I was about 16, and I'd gone to my first IJA convention. Oh. Someone, uh, I'd found out about Harry Lind. And right. got his... Uh, sure, the famous club maker. Exactly. And I got some equipment from him. And he, of course, is promoting the IJA. He says, you got to come to the convention every year. So I'm trying to think which one it was. It was Erie, Pennsylvania, maybe, that I went to uh, that year. Wow. Anyway, around 50, 58. No, actually, I think it was up in, in Rhode Island. Okay. It's where the Cal, Cal Canyon lived. And uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of good jugglers up that way, of course, and coming out of New York. 
at that time, the uh, IJA wasn't quite as uh, big an organization, at least uh, as far as the number of people that showed up at the convention. And it was a little different makeup uh, mm-hmm. than it is today, of course, thanks to the Internet. And I think that's the principal way that juggling is caught on. And all the kids are doing it in college and every every school MIT, Virginia Tech up in Blacksburg, Virginia, um, even East Tennessee State here in Tennessee, all the colleges have a juggling club. I think right. I went up to Virginia Virginia Tech, and they had maybe 40 or 50. I couldn't believe they had that many hmm. kids juggling. This was when my son, who graduated from Virginia Tech, he was there. So that would have been about um, 20, 20-some years ago. How many jugglers at that festival in uh, 1958, then, with the first one you attended? Uh, that's what I was going to say. I guess there were probably 40. 40. And the makeup would be uh, Hubby was, I'm thinking he was there that year or the oh. next year. I went, went back right. the next year. And uh, he was there, and I was there, and then there were uh, juggling sisters, the Rose sisters, Francine and Rita. They were uh, about our age, I guess, in the 17, 18, 19 uh, range. And, and then there were a few other jugglers, um, Ken Benj, maybe. Art Jennings had a son that was a juggler, and he was there. And there was a juggler named, lives out on the West Coast now, and... I'm not sure where he came from originally. He's uh, Studley Foster. Studley Foster, okay. Studley Foster. And mm-hmm. Lou, Lou Meyer was from Baltimore. Sure. I read and, those names. Was Vin, Vin Carey. Yeah, you probably read. Was Vin Carey the character? Names. Did he do the cartoons, Vin Carey, for the newsletter? Uh, I think he did do some cartoons, yeah. By the way, I, and I visited his house several times in Baltimore. And that's where I got the idea for the, the bottles, by the way. Okay. Uh, the bottle of the plate trick. I'd never seen a juggler do that. And I was asking him in his workshop, I said, now what, what what did they do with this? And he saw whether you have a plate and you balance it. So he gave me the idea for that. And I guess I was about maybe 18, 19 at that time. I got the idea for that. Of course, you're referring to the, the stunt where you, you take a plate and, and you have a bottle. Now, the bottle you use, was it a, a wooden bottle or some kind of prop bottle that you had? I used, well, I've used both uh but uh, on ice, you needed to use something that wasn't going to break, so I sure. used a wooden bottle. Yeah. And the idea and is that you... From a distance. You do different manipulations, and at one point you catch the, the bottle balanced on the, the edge of the plate, on the rim of the plate, as one right. of the final tricks. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's sort of the, the, the wrap-up of the trick. You, I balance it right, right side up first on the edge, and then I... I, I, I juggled two in one hand, the plate and the bottle, and catch it back on the plate. And then I would put in the champagne bucket and do all three of them. Right. Do a couple of tricks with that. But the, the finished trick seemed to be the, the edge on the edge with the uh, upside down. On the yeah, I had a nice, a nice wooden bottle for that for a long time, which I, of course, have lost to some whim over the years. And I, I worked on that for a little bit, but never, never performed it. But I've always enjoyed that style. I've always enjoyed your routine with the the bucket, plate, and bottle. I always thought it was super right, classy. Yeah. I had, uh, I thought it made a good opening, and the plates give you a lot of comedy that you can do, a lot of moves with the different plates, some of the same things you would do with balls or, or rings, but more with plates. And then uh, that was a nice opening trick, and then I did uh, just the balls after that. Eventually, of course, the uh, the nice ones, the bounce are good. Now, at the convention in 58, in my mind, the pictures I've seen, Everybody's wearing suit and ties. Was it still the day where everybody dressed up when they when they juggled? Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I I always did that. I was sort of a gentleman juggler. You know? I mean, even at the conventions, even when people were just juggling, it seemed in the, fe- in the, the, the videos I saw at the festival, people like just juggling casually when they were hanging out were sort of just wearing suits and ties or were at least wearing shirts well, and ties. That might, that might have been the, the bulk of the, of the people were sort of uh, in, in the retired category. So gotcha. they probably were dressed like that. I don't remember being 17 or 18. I, I, I wasn't dressed up like that. You, <laughs> okay. you mean not, not performing, you meant uh, just standing yeah, around. Yeah, just, just sitting around. It's just <laughs> yeah. seemed like when you see the old films, like like today, of course, you see guys just in shorts and T-shirts. and But back then, even yeah. when they were casually juggling in these videos, it seemed like they were always dressed up. Yeah, well, yeah, I can imagine that. Times have changed. I remember going out to Las Vegas. I hadn't been there in 10 or 15 years, and I put on a a tie and a coat, and I go in, and the maitre d' and I were the only ones that had the (laughs) coat on. (laughs) Kind of like going to uh, Broadway now. I went with my buddy, uh, Hovey. I forget what we went to see, but my wife and I were up there visiting. We went to the show, and we have a coat and a tie on. I have a coat and tie on. Hovey's wearing a coat. T-shirt with a hole in it, you know. <laughs> oh, Javi, <laughs> oh, last time I saw him at the IJ Festival, he was he was done up dapper. He had like a silver bow tie, I remember. So he's a man who likes to get dressed up, Javi Burgess. Oh, yeah. Oh, certainly. Certainly. <laughs> but times times change. I always think of those old days as being black in black and white. So there was actually in color that back then. It wasn't, it was, that was just my imagination that it was black and white. <laughs> There was some color back then, yeah. You just you just couldn't see it in the films, in the early 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 television. <laughs> but the first props you used, like you were saying, you got your clubs from Harry Lind. Were the first props you used sort of the heavy, the heavy wooden hollow clubs? Did you have a set of those early on? That that's all we that's all we had exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sure. My first my first uh, of course when I first started working, I didn't do the bottle of the plate. I had the clubs and the balls and the rings, and I did devil sticks and a few other things. And uh, one of the first jugglers, I have to mention Dieter, uh, one of the first jugglers I saw, I think I was 11 or 12, and he was with Ringland. That was probably his first, second year with Ringland. Dieter would be six, eight years older than me. You're talking about Dieter Dieter Tasso. Dieter Tasso had to be about 18. And uh, we had nice seats. We're right in the front of the center ring. And I saw right down in front of me, just a few feet away, was a unicycle with no tire on it. And I said, somebody's going to ride that on a wire. Sure. Well, it happened to be Dieter Tasso. He came out and he did these couple. He did some other juggling first, which I really don't remember this long ago. But he eventually got up on the wire and he did the cups and saucers. But now he did it at that time. He didn't do all of them on the unicycle. He did about hmm. five or six on his uh, right right leg, left leg while he bounced, threw them up on the, uh, on his head. And then he they pulled the they gave him the um, gave him the unicycle and he stood up on the unicycle and, and did the last one or two, oh. I think maybe the spoon can't remember if he does sugar in the spoon. And I know he has done that. I don't know if he did it then, but I asked him one time, I said, you know, I remember when I first saw you, you know, 40 years ago, uh, that you did it on a unicycle. And I forget what he said. There was, there was some reason, probably because uh, it didn't go over any better with the unicycle than it did with just standing on the wire. Cause you're, you're the trick. The trick you're talking about is that Dieter Tasso would, he would balance a, a cup uh, on his foot and he'd kick the cup right. from his foot and he'd have a saucer on his, his head and he'd build up a stack uh-huh. one after another, uh, right. picking them up right. one at a time. And then for the finale, he'd kick a spoon and then a lump of sugar, I believe. Lump of sugar, right. And he, he did as many as seven, seven or eight, I think. 
cups in the show. And so when you saw him, that, that inspired you to kind of vary your juggling or, or be more or try that trick? What did it inspire you to do? First of all, I was amazed, you know. Sure. <laughs> I was 12 years old. I just started, <laughs> you know, I could do three balls, maybe four yeah, yeah. at the most. Uh, so it gave me some inspiration. And probably one of the greatest tricks of all time, really, that, that trick on the slack rope, on the unicycle. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even if you just did the last couple, just to balance one legged on the unicycle on the slack rope. Right. Well, see, I did. I I already did. Well, I didn't do it that time, but I did slack wire as well, and I did that at Florida State. The reason I did slack wire, I'll tell you. uh, Of course, it's better for juggling. You can't really do a lot of juggling. Although uh, Jimmy Caliano also did tight wire and juggled, but if you're juggling on one, or you're standing on one foot on the slack wire, you keep your balance by moving the wire, moving Mm -hmm. your foot. But if you're standing on, if you're on a tight wire, you have to kind of really balance using your hands. And it would be more hard, difficult to juggle. So that's how I happened to do the juggling on the slack wire. Well, the reason I, I was going to, the reason I did the slack wire was because I didn't know how to get the wire tight, and it was slack when I got on it. You know, by the time I got up there. <laughs> sure. But it, it, wor- it wor- worked out. Better fine. for juggling. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, funny how, uh, funny thing how I got started with the juggling equipment too. I had won a uh, ticket to the World Series, and we have a, a D class baseball here at that time. And they were giving out tickets, or you could put your name in and maybe win a ticket. And I won a World Series ticket to go to New York. And I think uh, I was 12 years old. I'm not going to go to New York by myself. So I sold the ticket. And with uh, the $100 that I got, I I always tell people I bought some magic tricks, some juggling tricks. And I splurged and got a unicycle to go with it. And nice. the unicycle was a bit of a disappointment. Do you do unicycles? I'm sure you either do or I, I did, but, but I think the first time I got on a giraffe, I, I kind of mm-hmm. was riding around and I thought, this isn't for me. Like, I just didn't, I just didn't like it. I, so I thought, right. I just, I'm not going to be a high unicycle guy. And I didn't think of anything creative to do on it. And so I think that lasted just a couple of months before I, I sold it to a friend. But I could do I it for you. a little bit, you know. Well, I, I was going to say that when I, it looked fairly easy when I saw people do it uh, on, t- on television, <laughs> right. but when I got the unicycle, I noticed you could fall in any direction from that unicycle. So it took me a long time to do it, but since I paid $50 for it, I, I said I was going to learn to do it, and I finally did. Yeah, I was thinking recently about doing a pogo stick and juggling, but then on YouTube, oh, I, yeah. looked up, I looked up pogo stick fails on YouTube. <laughs> And I said, okay, uh-huh. no, no pogo stick for me because I guess the Maybe bottom not. can just slide out and basically you just kind of <laughs> fall flat. You just basically plant into the earth at that point. And if you're on concrete or something like that, it did not look very fun. So as a, as a 55 year old, I thought. Maybe I won't take up pogo sticking. Maybe not. Maybe not. But I considered it. So you have to think about that. I did consider it. You did consider it. Yeah, I, well, did. Uh, I did. My, so. wife, my wife talks me out of things, too. <laughs> in fact, I think I sold my, uh, last time the Jugglers Convention was in Raleigh, I sold my six-foot unicycle. She said, why don't you take that and see if somebody else wants it before you fall and break your neck on it? There are plenty of takers for the six-foot unicycle. You see quite a few guys, you know, making oh, yeah. that their finale. Well, it, it, I had a good, good one. Trip. It had a double yeah. chain. Oh, a double chain on, on both sides, yeah. And then double chain means... Yeah, if one breaks, one breaks is like insurance, you know. Uh, that reminds me what what happened to me when I bought it. I bought a ten foot one. I had a ten foot wow. cycle I got from okay. New York. Yeah. They shipped it in and everything. And I get up on the this basketball goal at our YMCA here, 
And I figured, well, I'll give it a try because uh, uh, I don't know if you know, but if the, the higher the unicycle, the easier the balance, like balancing sure. a broom or a spoon. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I uh, I get up on the thing and I start off, and I hadn't noticed a couple of the teeth had had gotten bent in transport, mm. and the chain flipped off. So oh. luckily, I had plenty of room room to fall. You know. <laughs> sure, sure. Of course, you're falling from uh, ten I, feet, but yeah, kind of yeah, fall. Yeah, yeah. So it was it, it wasn't bad. Hey, so let's pick up the story back in New York. It's 1961. You're a, a young man. You've right. driven across country in your car there. You're staying at the YMCA. You're practicing. Yep. What, what were those first gigs like? Well, they were, weren't too much, but since I brought my car, I, I got to drive the other acts to do the dates. So I got <laughs> okay. picked up some dates I probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have gotten. But I, what I was going to say, uh, I guess, I don't know if he was there then or he came into town. Rudy Cardenas was working at the, uh, let's see, at that time, I think he was at the Latin Court. So I went went by to see him and, and introduced myself. I think the uh, comedian uh, Buddy Hackett was working there, too. Uh, I can't remember the other act. There was an acrobatic act, as I recall. But uh, Rudy, very, very nice, nice nice guy, wonderful, wonderful juggler. I'd seen him on television. So, of course, I looked up to him. Oh, and I believe the uh, agent, I had an agent then, and he had, he had booked me on this uh, morning TV show, which ran for years and years, uh, the Captain Kangaroo Show. Hmm. And he used to have act. He would have yeah. acts on usually on uh, Saturday, and and acts like Rudy. In fact, Rudy was booked on the show a couple of weeks before, or right after I was. I forget when. At any rate, uh, Rudy had a, a young fellow that I think was going to school and helped him at night with the props because uh, if you've ever seen Rudy's act, you know he uses a lot of props and yeah. they throw them back and forth uh, to as he changes props. He's very good with the shaker cups. Was he doing the shaker cups back then? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of different props, Rudy Cardenas. Very, very varied in his. He used uh, six or seven uh, wooden balls. They were wooden. wooden. He didn't have rubber balls. He used wooden at that time. This would have been in the early sixties. Right. And he did. Uh, let's see, of course, the ball on the mouth stick. He had the pockets right around his waist. He did that. He did that trick. Well, now that's a different. Yeah, he did. He... I always thought he was very good with the uh, the ball and jump rope. I thought he was very good, and the two balls on his head. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was oh, a very yeah, strong juggler. He had that sort of circus style that kind of crouched over, very fast. I guess you'd call it kind very, of very fast. The, the thing I always thought about Rudy is he could have finished with any trick. Right. Every, every trick he did was, you know, was a good finish. Whether it was the pocket, the pockets, or the other uh, uh, shaker cups, which of course is a natural finish when he's throwing up what four, uh, eight, eight probably. Did. I think six or eight, and he always held the the two bottom ones in his hand. He used the technique where he right. flipped them from the cups. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I was always a hand tosser. Did that. I always tossed all of them out of my hands. And some shaker cup jugglers uh, use more of the cup technique where they hold the bottom ones. They'll do eight, but they'll always hold the bottom ones. So I always felt like they were doing six, but in the picture you see them doing eight. So <laughs> they're really, yeah, they're really only throwing six in the air. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but they have I, eight I, I total. Do, I, I have that too. Yeah. So as a guy who threw all eight in the air, I always always felt like they were cheating. But that was my own personal peeve, I guess. So, <laughs> so did you get to practice with Rudy? I mean, was a uh, did he become a well, friend? Yeah, or? yeah, he, he came he came by the Y. And uh, what I was going to say was when he did the Captain Kangaroo show, his uh, assistant couldn't help him, so he had me assist him, oh. and, and that was a that thrill. was a thrill, you know. Yeah. Here I get to actually help my the guy that I've uh, grown up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be a thrill. Yeah, yeah, definitely was. I got to throw a hat to Paul Ponce. In his show, and I was so nervous. Oh yeah, I, you know, it's like, okay, don't, don't, yeah, don't make him screw it up. <laughs> yeah, don't make him dive for it or something. So you don't want to get right. that look, right. that that that, that, <laughs> that juggler look. Like, what? Really? One throw, you blew it. 
So. <laughs> well, we we were talking about uh, seeing Bobby May when I was about twelve and just starting juggling. Yeah. So of course I didn't get to see him. I probably didn't meet him again until later. Till I think our show was around Cleveland. So I was probably twenty three, twenty four then. But at any rate, that was one of the first jugglers I saw in person was on ice. So I knew it could be done. At that time, I had not seen Trixie. Mm. And then, uh, of course, Paul Ponce, you're talking about, and his sure. father. Yeah, Victor uh, both of them yeah. excellent. Victor, yeah, both of them were excellent uh, jugglers on, on ice. But the next juggler I saw on ice after um, after Bobby May, it was when Hubby and I were in uh, uh, at Florida State. Mm-hmm. And there was a small show that came around, and it wasn't at Tallahassee. Florida State's in Tallahassee, Florida, the capital. Panama City is maybe 75 miles away. We we drove over. We heard there was going to be a show over there. Turned out to be a juggler named Lou Foles. Yeah, yeah. Heard that name. Dude, was he the one who, who produced all the props out of a cape? Like he'd come out wearing a cape? Right. Very un- unusual. It's almost like a, look like a magician or, or, or something. It's completely different. But uh, I can't remember exactly what he did, but uh, it was unusual in that he pulled everything out from under the cape. Yeah the clubs and the balls and all, which you would think about that. You would think it would be in the little bulky to be <laughs> juggling and skating with all that. Sure, all those trailing problems. behind him. But somehow. I don't remember. Yeah, look, it looked fine. He did a very good number. Well, at any rate, the skaters that had that show, the manager and his wife, turned out later to be the managers of the Holiday on Ice show that I went out with in, I guess it was 1963 is my first show. So uh, Lou Foles was no longer there, but there was a... A very famous comedian whose son was a juggler and his other son was a comedian with ice follies named Ben Dova. Yeah, yeah. Ben Dova. Sure. And his, Not their real name, but uh, obviously. Uh, his son was Gil Dova. Gil Dova, Gil, correct? Gil, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And was Ben Dova the one that uh, jumped off the Hindenburg? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you know the the whole story on that. I don't. He was coming. He was coming over. I think to either work Roxy or the music hall, one of the, the the theaters at that time. And I forget what year that was. Would have been in the thirties, wasn't it? I, I suppose. Not yeah. Sure. But anyway, he had a, a, a contract to. I think it was twenty eight at Hindenburg. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I think it's around that time. I'm not sure. Probably around that time. But at any rate, he was a friend with, this was Joe Jackson Jr., the tramp on the bike, uh, his father, Joe Jackson, kind of mm-hmm. like Gil Dova and Ben Dova. Right. They were, they were working in Europe, and Ben uh, Dova had the contract to go to New York. And Joe Jackson said, well, I have a ticket to go over on this dirigible, the Hindenburg. Sure. He said, you take my ticket. And the funny thing is that uh, Ben Dover was quite an acrobat. Joe Jackson apparently was a little little stouter, if you know what I mean. I don't know that he could have come down a rope like uh, Ben Dover. And I think Ben may have broken one or both legs dr- jumping from the plane. You, you probably heard that story. Yeah, because he had to jump from the dirigible, uh, the Hindenburg. So he, actually, Gildova's father, the famous teller Gildova, his father, Ben Dova, survived the Hindenburg airship disaster. Right, exactly. And to get out, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, and I can't remember the name of it. They made a movie about that. And at one time, I think because he was German, his name was Spa, not the stage name was Dova, uh, they suspected that he might have some something to do with it, although later it's been proven that there wasn't any yeah. uh, conspiracy or anything. It was just, uh, it was just a bad idea. A bad idea. Yeah, well, it seemed like it at the time, but, you know. <laughs> a giant ship filled with uh, exploding gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a smart idea. But anyhow, when it's over, um, was it, Lakehurst, uh, New Jersey, and it's, they're 
getting ready to land, it suddenly catches on fire. And uh, to escape, I think Beth Dover, I don't know how he got out the side of the, of the dirigible, but he, he had to go down the rope and he was hanging there and he dropped off. And like we said, he, he either broke one or, or both legs. So I, I don't guess he got to open in the theater uh, right away. But he survived and, and not many did. But that's that's a story. But he did survive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and the last year, the first year I worked with Holiday on Ice, oh, I, oh, I have to tell you, that, back it up a bit again. Sure. Back in New York and Gil Dover was working around New York doing publics and everything. And they lived in, in uh, out on the island. Ben and his his family and Gil at that time. I think Gil had maybe had already. Gil was a little older, was a little older than me, and uh, I think he may have already been working in Europe. But anyway, he was back there at the time. He just uh, passed away recently, uh, Gil Dova. He passed away, I think, last year. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yep, yep, yep. Used to see him every time I went to uh, to Las Vegas. But in, anyhow, I was good friends with Gil there, and while I was in New York. And he was, he's the one that inspired me besides Bobby May and Lou Foles. He said, you ought to get a job. You ought to go, uh, you know, and get a job with Holiday on Ice. And my father had worked for them, he said. And I, and I said, well, you know, I, I can skate a little bit, but I'm, I think maybe I'll go home and practice. So that's what happened. I went home to practice. And, and the show, the Holiday on Ice show used to rehearse in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's meant, the home office it was in Minneapolis at that right. time. And they, but they came down and rehearsed. I guess it was cheaper to rehearse in Knoxville, Tennessee. And they did that for a couple of weeks. And then they opened there and then they went out on tour. But uh, I, I went down and auditioned and uh, they said, well, you, you know, you joke it okay, but you need to learn to scale a little bit better. So they, they called me, uh, or maybe they told me right then, I don't remember. We've got another show called Ice Vogues. And, and uh, if you'd like to go out with them, they're, they're leaving. Actually, it was from Minneapolis. Went to Minneapolis and I forget where we went from there. West northwest and uh that's when i went to join that show the first show i was in gill's father ben dova that was the last tour he made hmm. in that show yeah uh, he worked uh, for the uh, agpa the uh, variety artist union which is no longer exists it was at that time he, he was an agent for them but i believe that was maybe the last sh- show he worked with but ben liked to play golf and i i did too so i I got my golf clubs from home. I only got a little closer to Tennessee and uh, we used to play golf with him and his wife, his wife didn't play, but she always rode in the cart hmm. and watched. Right, right, right. And it was Ruth. Yeah. And how long were you uh, on tour with the ice shows? Well, that, that was like a six month tour. And I came back home and uh, decided to go back to college. And then later I contacted and it, uh, I heard that the ice show I was with was going to South America. They were going to, go down uh, into Central America and then go down into South America. So I contacted them to see if they'd like to have my juggling act back. And they said, well, we could work something out. So uh, I spoke to the girl I was dating and said, how would you like a 10-month honeymoon in South America? <laughs> right. And uh, that's how we got married. And we went to uh, had a hun- nice honeymoon in, in uh, South America. Nice. And that was 1960, I guess it must have been 1964, 63, 54. How many kids do you have, Tommy? I know you're a family man. Yeah, we, we got uh, we got two little boys. And two in boys. fact, that's how I got came off the road. After the first son was born, I was I was working in in South. Or I think it was in the Far East. And my wife said, uh, "I think we've got no income." So <laughs> I went back home for a month or two. Went to I went to South America with Holiday on Ice, and this was the last unit, the last year I was out with that unit, nineteen seventy three. 
we were in Rio de, de Janeiro, and uh, the show was getting ready. To well, they were well, they were going to continue on, but I, I, I was I left early, so I get back in time for the. He was yeah. born on July the third. I think I got back the week before, and uh, I figured with two kids at home, I'd like to stick around at home more often. So uh, we decided I'd get into some business. That that's when we opened the movie theater. I love love movies, and uh, at that time we only had two downtown theaters and. I don't know if you know the evolution of the movie house. It's sort of gotten away from downtown in most cities, except the larger cities, and they've gone to the shopping malls. We we just we just opened one in a, out in the shopping center. I had seen you in 1981. I think that's the first time I because you came out of nowhere in 1981. We still had the movie theater. I remember because Edward Jackman, whose name comes up quite a bit on these podcasts, sure, because uh, oh, yeah. he was a big figure in the early days of the IJ and you know juggling in general. Absolutely, he had I think had lost the year before to Alan Jacobs in a very controversial, unless I had this wrong, kind of decision because Alan Jacobs was mostly mm-hmm. a club swinger. and uh-huh. uh, But he did a wonderful presentation and because of the presentation scores, he beat Edward. And a lot of people think thought Edward should have won. Yeah. So in 1981, Edward competed again. And it seemed like, well, this is Edward's year. But then you came in and I had never heard of you or, or, or seen Tommy Curtin. Uh-huh. And you had this polished act... <laughs> I can remember to this day some of the tricks, the the four ball bounce into the basket. Yeah, the, yeah. The style yeah. because you were like a polished professional, and you said you had come there to see to see Bobby May. That was nineteen eighty one. Right, right. I knew uh, well. In fact, I think Bobby May uh, probably died either that later that year or the next year. He only lived another year, I believe. Is that right? Don't you think that's correct? When I remember meeting him, he was he was very advanced in age, and he it, it wouldn't surprise yeah. me that he. You know, it only lasts another year or two. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, my boys, I think, were like probably 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, something around there. Took their two years apart. And uh, they could juggle a little bit. But I, I told them the younger one, I think, probably didn't wasn't as good as his, other, <laughs> his older brother. I said, look, we're going to go see the best American juggler there is. You guys don't embarrass me not being able to juggle. So they did learn <laughs> to juggle. <laughs> right, 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 right. Let's get back to the, sort of this idea of becoming a businessman. Like when you went into these these movie theaters, did you continue to mm-hmm. juggle as a hobby? Did you continue to do jobs occasionally, or did you sort of give it up all all at the same time? No, actually, I did. I did continue. I would go out and work fairs, and two or three weeks or a cruise ship. I'd go out for two, three, four weeks, and uh, you know, work work that and come back and forth. Unfortunately, uh, I had some people that could ha- handle the business while I was gone. My wife will say she's probably the one that handled mm-hmm. business. But I mean, as far as running the projectors. It's changed a little bit now. We had uh, film, and uh, now I believe they uh, use something like a DVD that, that comes in. We we had to make up the film and put the, all the five or six reels together, you know, and then show it and then take it apart and get the next one in. Yeah, you had to physically change the reels as the movie was running. Is that correct? That was a little before I got in. I got when you. I got in it, they had they had something called a platter system where you you could build you build it up before you started. Say you're going to start a film on Friday night, you'd get the film you know Wednesday, Thursday. You put it all together, and the platter it fits on this platter. It's it's film, but it's all spliced together, so you could run through the projector. The way they used to do it was they would uh, one reel at a time, which is maybe 20 minutes, 20 25 minute film, and then it it switched to another projector. And then, then they put new rail on the old objector, and, it, and it, it had to switch back and forth. Of course, if it ran smoothly, you wouldn't notice this in the movie, if you were sitting in a movie. You don't have to worry about that now, though. It's, it's much, much simpler. I, w- I wish I didn't have to worry about it, because I could tell you some horror stories <laughs> about the film. <laughs> and did, you own, did you own several movie theaters? Because uh, 
Like I say, that was the reputation that you were a successful businessman, that Tommy Curtin had had become a success. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's sort of like the, the, the juggling. I remember when, as I got into juggling, I'd read about an older juggler. He was like 70-some years old like I am now. And he was still juggling. I said, gee, this is, I'm not going to get on the trapeze or the high wire. I said, juggling, they can work till they're 75. Of course, after I got into it, I found out why he was still working, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he, he had to, right? <laughs> he, he had to keep working. Yeah. <laughs> he had to keep working, exactly. The retirement, retirement benefits aren't re- real good, you know. But anyhow, uh, so I had several ideas for, for businesses. And, and we did decide on the movie theater because we thought that would be good. And it, it worked out. It worked out pretty good. There were, we had some lean times too. The only problem with the movie business, if you had a movie coming in and it didn't do a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars, only five hundred dollars, you you didn't do too well that week. So, uh, well, it's sort of like show business. You know, if you're off two weeks and you make good money the next two weeks, you still got to round it off at the end of the year. So the movie business is sort of like that. And it's uh, of course it's kind of like the story with the the Fells when they when they sold the. Ringland Brothers, that's my favorite show, but in this story, they sold it to Mattel Toy Corporation, if you remember the story. No, I, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. Somebody just mentioned that on uh, Facebook. The, the fellows didn't own, uh, they didn't continue to own Ringling Brothers? They sold Ringling Brothers. Oh. Yeah, they, they they couldn't do that again because Mattel was not making any money either. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they sold it to Mattel, but they didn't sell them the concessions. They said, well, they'll continue to run the concessions, let Mattel know take the tickets at the door well after about four years uh, i don't know if they lasted that long mattel decided they ain't gonna make any money like this and i imagine the fells were doing great and they bought the show back for about half the if they hmm. sold it for, for 40 million they bought it back for 20 right right because you can't can't make money without concessions yeah, that's true in the theater business too uh i don't know if you know anything about the movie business but uh, the the studios do and it's hard to make any money if you're a theater unless you're selling popcorn. That's why you, you don't see popcorn for a dollar and a half or d- drinks for two bucks. You know, uh, in fact, I was going to say that w- we went to see um, it wasn't Ringling, but it was the Disney on Ice show. I took my grandkids. My youngest one was seven. She wanted to go out and get some cotton candy. And I said, well, I'm going to go see what the price is. And I <laughs> went out and I said, they want ten dollars and fifty cents. I said, I tell you what, I've got a machine at home. She didn't know I had a cotton candy machine. I'll make you as much as you want every day when we go back home. But I'm not paying ten fifty for uh, yeah. some sugar and air. Right, right. You know the markup and, on that one. Yeah. Oh, it's a nice, it's a nice markup. Yeah. Tommy, I want to ask you about a famous set of uh, props you used, uh, the bottle clubs. How how did those come about, and how did Stu Reynolds end up making you those famous fiberglass bottle clubs? Okay, well, we'll go back a little bit. One of the early juggling conventions I went to back in the, in the sixties. There was a juggler named Johnny Lux, and Johnny had some bottle clubs as well, and I don't know exactly. They were probably, wouldn't, may have been solid. I doubt it, though. It would have been too heavy. I think they were uh, a conversion of, like, a club he had, and then somehow he made them, like, they were a regular juggling club that he, he somehow converted by wrapping a, a, a wrapper around them. So I remember I, I met him. I think it was at a, a, a convention many years ago. Uh-huh. Early, early convention. And I, I saw, I used those clubs, and they were very similar to juggling clubs. They weren't like the ones you ended up using. Oh, they were a little, little different. I yeah. just I just remember he had those clubs. But at any rate, when I, when I did the, pot, the plates and the champagne bottle and, and all, and I thought, well, if I do clubs and they're, and they're like bottles, like I was thinking Johnny Lux, this will fit in more with the, with the act. 
And I went to Stu, Stu Reynolds. Of course, I was using his clubs. Uh, Stu had already started making clubs. Uh, I don't remember if after Harry Lynn or when Harry Lynn was still making them. But anyway, of course, Harry's were wooden and Stu's were, were fiberglass. And the nice thing about well, Harry Lynn explained to me how he made the wooden clubs. He would make maybe 50 or 60 clubs, and then he'd have to weigh them all and put the ones that weighed the same together. Hmm. When, when Stu made up a set of clubs, if I ordered five clubs, he made five clubs. And, of course, they were exactly the same way. But I, I asked uh, Stu about it, and he said, yeah, I could, do, I could make something like that. Well, he made some for me, and I used them for a year or two, but they seemed a little big. They were a little too, too bulky, uh, yeah. the, the bottom of them. And uh, he ended up, we, we made them a little smaller, and that's the one that Charlie Fry, as, as far as I know, Charlie Fry is the only one that uses those clubs besides uh, me. I don't know anybody else that had any. I had a set. Oh, oh, did you? I sold them to Pat McGuire. Okay, well, then there's there's three of us. We know three <laughs> of us then. <laughs> they were too big. They hurt my hands. They were very hard on your hands. Uh-huh. Well, you, you're correct there. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, busted a blood blood vessel. <clears throat> I had a time in uh, one of my, the first, oh, the, the tour we were making on in South America. Uh, we had a hand balancer named uh, Barton, the great Barton. He did a plate spinning act as Bort Javis, where he spun about 30, 40 plates. And, but he did a hand balancing act, and he did an act where he's balanced up on a ladder, and he did the hand balancing tricks. And one night in the hotel lobby, I was fooling around and was standing up on a chair, and I fell over, and, and I hit my, my side, and I busted a rib. So uh, when I went out and juggled, uh, I, I couldn't bend over to pick up a prop. So if I brought, I've dropped anything, my wife had to pick it up. So in addition to that, I, I, these, you know, like you said, these clubs can yeah. do, do heck to your hands. And I hurt one of my fingers, and I think it was killing me too. So it, it's, it's juggling clubs can be can be tough on your body. <laughs> I think uh, Albert Lucas was the only one I knew who he used those fiberglass clubs for his whole career. I think he's the only one I knew of who was able to tolerate them. Albert and I worked work together at Bush Gardens. Uh, uh, I worked it for about three years, and then Albert came in, and then Albert said, hey, why don't we do it together? Uh, then I can take off a week or two, and you can take off. And we ended up working for the next year or so. Uh, I would work a couple of weeks, and then I'd, like, I'd go to Aspen or somewhere to do a show, or he, he'd go off and do a, a sports show or something, and I could fill in. We used the same music exactly the same time we did about six minutes in that show so yeah i've known albert uh, a long time of course he's a wonderful juggler and his, his his brother is also i guess you know that david david lee yeah david lee i we tried to do some research on them recently i don't know what happened to because uh, i'm trying to get a hold of albert to do the podcast uh-huh. he was my uh juggler who i saw when i was a kooky kid right but i wasn't too shy i went up and actually uh met him backstage and he was so friendly and nice and I've always remembered that. He started very young, though, I think. He was probably, what, 10 years? He was sort of like uh, Anthony. He was probably about 10 years old wasn't he, when he was with Ice Capades. Yeah, but when I met him, I was about 16. Uh-huh. And he was probably 18 or 19. I think he's a few years older than me. Oh, he was about, about the same. Uh. Yeah, I remember him being an adult, but maybe he just seemed a lot more mature than I was. Right. But as far as Jugglers on Ice, there, there haven't been that many. And Albert Lucas has got to have been one of the strongest technically. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 And did you know his his father was in an act with uh, Gatto's father? Is that correct? Right. Right. Yeah. And I, re- I remember, by the way, a terrific act. Very, very good act. Uh, Nick. Yeah. Uh, Los Gatos. Uh, Gatto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Los Gatos. Right. I don't remember the third one. I think the third one may be the only one that didn't have a, a son that became a juggler. I don't know. By the way, uh, you remember Anthony was uh, 
was in the competition the same year I was. He was. Did you? So you beat Anthony and Edward. Yeah, I I gave him uh, I gave him ten dollars and told him why don't you go wait till next year and just go to the junior one this year. <laughs> no, I didn't. But I mean, I was I was glad that he was only in the junior one. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I remember they had a lot of competitors that year. They had maybe. 25 competitors or something. It seemed like it uh, was a very long event, as I remember. I run into people all the time and say, you know, I was in that competition. Was <laughs> Mark Neiser? Mark Neiser might have been. Could have been, sure. Was. Sure. Yeah, no, it was, yeah. It, there were a lot of performers. I was going to say how that changed from 71 to 81. When I did it, like you said, it was an act that I'd been doing for a few years. So I said, well, why don't you dress up and make it look like an act instead of come out with a T-shirt and your shorts on? So I think that was probably an advantage in in itself. But when we first started in 71, it was just a matter of like doing uh, where you're going to do clubs and let's see how many tricks you can do. And, you know, he did 25 tricks and he missed one and he did 40 tricks. It was sort of that that kind of contest. So what it's developed into is, uh, is of course, a much better, much better show. Like you said, it was really too long a show when you get 30, 40 people, uh, contestants. Uh, now they do it and you, they kind of, what do they make it, six, seven, eight at, at the most? Yeah, I think they top it out about seven. And you were the 1971 yeah. all-around champion. Right. So was that was that balls, rings, and clubs at that time? Uh, whatever, whatever we used. <laughs> Whatever did, you had. I, did I? Did I? I can't remember if I told you this. Yeah, did I tell you the story that uh, we used to have a photographer from the West Coast, uh, Lane Blumenthal? He would uh, take a picture uh, of everybody there, and he wanted to take a picture of uh, all the all the five club jugglers, all three of us. Right. There was I don't know if it's Bill Dietrich. Sure, Bill Dietrich. Yeah. I think actually it was Stu Reynolds and Hovey H- and myself. I think he had to have a very fast lens and a lot of patience to catch 15 clubs in the air, if you know what I mean. Sure. There wasn't anybody, there wasn't anybody doing five clubs for 30 minutes. <laughs> now, I, just talk, I was just way. talking to Peter Davidson that I think it was Steve Mills broke the minute barrier, at least at the IGA, and then Peter did three minutes and then six minutes, and then that, then it... Oh, you mean the first time it was even broken, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then God, at least at the IGA, I'm sure there were other you know, professional jugglers right. uh, who were able to yeah. do longer. Yeah. But then Gatto put it out of sight at 45 minutes, the, the five right. club record. Right. So uh, never, <laughs> never been approached again. So let's talk about some other, other jugglers that you got to see in person over your years and how you sort of felt about them and, and how you sort of rate them. Uh, did you ever meet Ernest Montego, someone like that? Yes, yes. I was working uh, cruise ships that used to go into, uh, I'm trying to think where it was. It must have been San Juan, Puerto Rico. He was working on a show there. And I would see, uh, I could see him every week. He was, uh, oh, I, let me tell you a funny story too, talking about famous jugglers. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I, uh, must have been about 1973. Anyway, we've been married 10 years. We went to uh, the Bahamas mm-hmm. and we went in they had a, they had a nice four show and I was trying to find out what the acts were. And I, uh, the maitre d' was the only one standing there. And I said, uh, what kind of acts do you have? Do you have any jugglers? And he says, oh, yeah, we have a guy that does a little juggling. So we said, well, we'll go see the show. And, of course, it was it was Francis Brunt. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I thought, this is a good description. Here's the guy that might do a little juggling. You know? Right, right. If you had to put them in like kind of an order, would you say that, um, to you, Francis Brunt was sort of the number one juggler in your time? Uh, he and, and Rudy, Rudy, Rudy would be at, at the top of my my list is yeah yeah but that's the ones i the ones i grew up with later yeah. i got to see uh ignatov and uh sure. you know alexander kiss and 
and these guys and the Russians, the Russians hadn't gotten over here back when I was that young. So I hadn't, I hadn't had to see them. I might not have even got into juggling if I saw what they did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Ignatov came in 1971 was the first year. That was the year Paul Bachman made that uh, famous video that everyone got to see, of like the five club back crosses and the, the 11 rings. So I think that was their first tour. Right, right. Yeah, I always put uh, yeah. Chris Cremo as my number one, just for the same reason. Like in my time, yeah. Well, I remember, I remember Bella, Bella Cremo came. You know, oh. you knew that Bella Cremo came uh, over with Ringworm. Sure, I know they did a double act, but I never got to see that act. I, I only saw Chris when he was at the Stardust in Las Vegas by himself. Right. Well, I, I just remember going to see the show, and later I, I worked with this young lady in the Far East, uh, uh, Bert Bert Holt's uh, daughter was Chris Holt and she did mm-hmm. the act hanging by her hair and she was with Ringland. This one year with Ringland, I don't remember what it was, what year, probably been in the seventies. Chris Holt was doing the hair hanging act in the center ring and they had Bella Cremo oh. over in ring three or something. Bella Cremo didn't have an act that went over in ring three. <laughs> yeah. Just like Chris, any, any juggler that did the stuff, they, you know, Chris is a fantastic juggler, but when you have an act like that, you don't want to be trying to no. cover three three or four rings to see all the acts. You, you just miss it. You miss all the sublity. Yeah, because she's pulled up into the air probably 30 or 40 feet by her hair. That's a pretty, yeah. that's a pretty hard act to draw focus from, I think. And then her father, yeah. if I'm not mistaken... He was pulled up by his teeth. Is that right, Bert Holt? I, I think I think you're you're correct. Yeah, he probably didn't have enough hair to be pulled up. But anyway, <laughs> you're right. Yeah, I think he did. And of course, he did some real good juggling. Uh, I don't want to say anything about a juggler, but she didn't do a lot. But she looked. No, good. she juggled three <laughs> torches, as I remember. That was her big. Well, yeah, and he might have done four rings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he did like five or six rings with a ring on his foot, and he did some real tricks. Right. He was being sort of lofted up into the air by his teeth. Which is a an act that you don't see uh, done anymore. Right. Uh, let me mention a juggler. He's Please. also a unicyclist. He's probably the best the best of all time. And he, and his mother, if I can get this story right, was the second wife of Harry Lind. And how that happened, I have no idea. But anyway. Uh, yep, I know exactly who you're talking about. You're talking about uh, Boy Foy. You know what I'm talking about Boy Foy. Boy Foy. Yep. Well, the the Harlem Globetrotters when they traveled, they always had juggling acts. Usually two or three or four. Or wire axe, or something you could set up in a, in a basketball floor. But boy, Foy uh, seemed like it had to be at least ten feet. And as I recall, he went up on the cycle and stayed up there for about six or seven. The whole whole act, they had to throw the props back and forth. And I really don't remember what he did, but you, you know, you might know what I'm going to tell you. That how he got up on the unicycle, he got up on it and rode it upside down with his shoulder. Yeah, I know boy, Foy because I just had Peter Davison on my last podcast, and after Boy Foy retired, he taught a class at a, at a local college, and one of his students was Peter Davison. Oh, okay. No, I didn't know that. Okay, you're telling me. So we're learning stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know. So you're saying that he rode the, the unicycle upside down somehow. Upside down. He, he would get... Well, in the first place, the trick was getting up on the unicycle. He didn't climb up a ladder or stand right. up on a basketball goal. He had a couple of little steps, I guess, along the way. And he would get right, he would go from the, the floor where the wheel was to the seat 10 feet up. Uh, but he also did it upside down. And then I'm not sure it was the same, it may have been a different seat, a different right. cycle. I can't remember that. But he, but he wrote it upside down like he's... Yeah, his chest would be on the, on the seat, yeah. And his hands would be doing the pedals. Right, right, doing the pedal. That's yep. crazy. 
so he he was he was amazing. And I would guess at that time uh, when I saw him at the Globe Trials, he he probably was. Of course, I thought he was old, but I was probably twenty twenty five. Yeah. He had to be fifty in the, oh. in his fifties then. Yeah, he was. He was pretty old. There was another. I can't. Remember, I'm trying to remember his name. There was a juggler. Since I uh, since I've worn glasses since I was six years old and uh, very nearsighted. Um, I've always owned contact lenses, at least when they came along, when I was 16, I think, or contact lenses. There's a juggler, and I'm trying to think if it was Billy Lee. I can't remember the name. But anyway, he worked at the Globetrotters, and he was there when Lottie, Lottie Brunt, Lottie and Lottie uh, and Ted, her husband, yeah, Ted were traveling with that yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, the Cherricks, huh? But anyhow, uh, he would, had somebody said his props out there, and he, he would ask from the sideline, he said, are the props out there? I mean, he couldn't see from the side of the gym floor sure. to the middle. But he seemed to juggle okay, so I don't know how I did it. I guess he was I know uh, Nino Fradiani is another juggler that has very limited vision. Uh, exactly, exactly. I still, uh, that's the one, that's a, among the funny things that I've seen. I was watching uh, uh, Nino and I were in, uh, as, as well as Bobby Jewell, we're working in Japan at the same time. This is when they used to use a lot of novelty acts over there. And Nino was working in the club, and I was working in another club. We came over to catch his show, and he had his prop stand. He, he used to like to go out and jump over the prop stand, and then he'd start his act. Mm. Well, listen, not he caught his toe on the, <laughs> the top of the prop stand, so he's on his you know face, <laughs> and all the props are rolling all around. <laughs> right. So it, it was uphill from then on. You know? <laughs> yeah, tough way to start the act. With it. A tough way. A tough yeah. way. I had a show once where the I came out and the the table collapsed. I had my entire show set up on this table that the the prop guys had set up for me. And as soon as I came on the stage, uh, the entire thing collapsed, sending all my props careening all over the place. It was it was almost a comical uh, start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just unusual, just unexpected. We, I had the same thing happen in a club. In fact, first nightclub I worked in Washington D.C. We didn't have any stagehands. It was just a waiter. He's a, he was going to set my props for me, kind of like they did for you. And I had one of these magic tables that comes apart in the middle. So I had the clubs hanging in the right, walls right. and everything out there. He goes out and sets it. And I said to him, no, no, put it in the center. So he picks it up and sets it down. And, of course, every, the base of the table is about five feet away. So I, the lights come on, and the same as you had, everything's rolling around. Fortunately, I did some comedy, so uh, more so than I meant to that night. <laughs> I tried to do some comedy, so I think I was able to <laughs> bring some levity to it. But and they they ran yeah. out, they scurried out quite quickly and and helped me recover. So oh, that was good. That was good. Hey, Tommy, I think we've come to the end of our time together. It's been a delight to to talk to you and share these memories. I, I don't want to take too much of your time here, so I appreciate it so much, and I'd like to. Thank you on behalf of all our listeners for being on Drop Everything. Thank you so much. The fabulous juggler, Mr. Tommy Curtin. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, buddy. See ya. I hope you enjoyed podcast number 41 of Drop Everything with me, your host, Dan Holzman, speaking with the great juggler himself, Tommy Curtin. Thank you, Tommy. Now let's thank our sponsors one last time. First of all, with the IJA, International Jugglers Association. Go to juggle.org for information about the festival happening this year in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And thanks, Dama for that truckload of cash you paid me to promote your products. Also thank Karen Holzman, our engineer, and you, our listeners, drop everything except when you're juggling.